Thanks to Harry's for sponsoring Motley Fool Answers. You can get your free trial set, including a razor blade, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Just go to harrys.com slash fool. I also want to thank Slack for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all of your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hello, Allison. How we talk about anything, let alone money, can sometimes be very different depending on our culture, gender, or where we were raised, leading to misunderstandings about intention. So today we're joined by Dr. Deborah Tannen, a superhero in the world of linguistics who literally wrote the book on how we communicate. She's here to help us talk better about our money or anything else for that matter. We'll also answer your question about finding a good advisor when you live in an advisor drought-stricken area. All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Full Answers. It's time for Answers Answers. Today's question comes from Rich, and it's uh, it's kind of a long one. It's a long so one. Bear with me. I'm a 58-year-old blue-collar employee of a large company. I'm a high school grad with low knowledge and low confidence in investing. I have $1.4 million in my 401k, good, good for you, nice. as well as a company pension that I can take as a 5800 monthly annuity or a $1.3 million lump sum. So That's a lot of money. Great. That's, That's awesome. a lot of money. Yeah. My current plan is to take the lump sum and roll over the entire $2.7 million into an IRA with Edward Jones. The broker tells me the mutual fund commissions will be around 0.5%, with no additional fee to the advisor. I talked to other similar big-name firm brokers, and Edward Jones appears to be the best and least expensive choice. Vanguard said their fee would be about 0.5% all in. Vanguard put together a plan for my consideration. Problem with them is how inconvenient they are to deal with. I've considered fee-only advisors, but those options are limited in my area. I live in a small southern town. I've checked Napfa and Garrett and found only a couple advisor choices within 50 to 100 miles away. How can I find, interview, and get comfortable with a fee-only advisor with my limited options in my area? Rich. That is a long one, but there were so many interesting things about it, I thought we should address them. So, first of all, um, congratulations. Rich, by the way, accumulating a pretty impressive retirement nest egg there. Uh, so the first thing there is that you have the option of getting fifty-eight hundred dollars a month, or about seventy thousand dollars a year from a pension, or take the one point three million dollar lump sum. That seventy thousand dollars a year is about a five point four percent payout, which is pretty good. So I wouldn't necessarily default to rolling that over and taking the lump sum. It depends on how safe the pension is. Now. Sounds like you've talked to the broker and that your plan is to roll the pension over to a lump sum. And this is where the conflicts of interest with commission-based brokers come in. Because if the broker advises you to just leave the money there as a pension, he or she's not going to get any money. So there's somewhat of an incentive to have the advice of rolling it over. I'm not saying that that's bad advice, but it's something to be aware of. You mentioned that you're with Edward Jones. Edward Jones, generally speaking, has a pretty good reputation, so I'm not slandering anyone from Edward Jones. I will say, though, that you are going to pay a 0.5% upfront commission, and then, according to your email, you said, with no additional fee to the advisor. That's actually probably not true, because what a lot of these brokerages have is a revenue-sharing agreement with the mutual fund company, so that while they may not be taking like 0.5% off of your nest egg anymore. There will be expense ratios within the mutual funds that you'll pay every year, and some of that money will go to the advisor. 
So whenever an advisor says something like, oh, you're just going to pay 0.5% and that's it, it's not really true. So that's a little bit of a yellow flag to me that this broker would say that. You also mentioned talking to Vanguard, which is generally something I would recommend people do. But you said that they've been inconvenient to work with. And just anecdotally, I have heard that because of so much money is going into Vanguard these days, they have not been able to handle it from a customer service standpoint. So for you to go with Vanguard, you'd have to deal with, over the internet, over the phone. And what you're experiencing is what I've heard other people experiencing is that Vanguard has not been able to handle the workload. So you might want to try another big name firm like Fidelity or someone else just to see what they're offering as well. And then finally, and this is a common issue, you've, you've contacted the, or it looks, sounds to me like you visited the website of NAFA, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, as well as the Garrett Planning Network. These are two organizations that have fee only advisors, they do not charge commissions. So, to a certain degree, that takes some of the conflict of interest out. There's always going to be a little bit of conflict of interest in the financial services industry, but by being fee-only, they're also fiduciaries, they're legally obligated to put your interest first, they're generally speaking going to have a, a higher seal of approval than the regular brokerage. But these organizations are not huge, so there, there are parts of the country where it's harder to find somebody. But I would say if, if you do have options within 50 to 100 miles, I think it's worth calling those people at least and seeing what they offer. Many of them are very comfortable working online, working over the phone. Once you've set up something with them, you generally only meet once a year. And, and I think it's actually worth traveling 50 to 100 miles once a year to get a really good financial advisor. So, my recommendation is find out exactly what the Edward Jones person is going to be making, how they're going to be paid. Doesn't mean that they're not a good advisor, but if they said that they're, you're only paying that 0.5%, that makes me a little nervous. And still contact Garrett and NAPFA and, and contact the people that are at least within a couple of hours' drive just to see what they're offering. Not to go back to the very beginning part of your answer, but you said about taking the lump sum or taking the monthly annuity from the pension, he should check to see how safe the pension is. Yes. How, do you, how do you do that? Well, every pension plan has to provide an annual report that gives its funding status. So it'll say, you know, we have 80% of the assets we need to cover future obligations, which would make me a little nervous. Some are fully funded. Some pensions, like if you look at some state pensions, for example, are severely underfunded. In that situation, that would definitely I would definitely take the lump sum. Get the money while you can and then manage it yourself. But if it's a solid pension, and they're going to pay you $70,000 a year for the rest of your life, that's pretty good. The downside of that is, generally speaking, once you die, those payments stop. So, um, Rich might be thinking, I don't actually need that money, so I'm going to take the lump sum and then leave it to my kids, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Thanks to Slack for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all of your team's communications in one place, making your working lives simpler and more productive. Slack allows you to organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives, all in one easy-to-use app. Speaking from experience, I can say Slack is great for improving productivity and collaboration. And bonus, you can also use it to send hilarious cat gifts, which we regularly do in the Motley Fool Answers Slack channel. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. That's slack.com. Thanks to Harry's for supporting our podcast. If you haven't heard of Harry's, they make razor blades at a fraction of the price by taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet. And the quality of the shave, bro, tell me all about it. 
It's the closest shave I've ever had. It was wife approved. Not just my opinion, but my wife feels the same way. Harry's is so confident that you will love their blades as much as Brokamp's wife. They're giving you a free trial set. Just cover $3 for shipping. To get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, go to harrys.com slash fool. That's harrys.com slash fool. about today's guest. It is Dr. Deborah Tannen. She's a professor of linguistics at Georgetown University. It's kind of ironic that I fumbled over those words. I couldn't count the number of times people fumble on linguistics. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's the author of a number of fascinating books that dive into the differences in how we communicate, including the wildly best-selling, can I say, I think I can say wildly. Yeah, Yeah. it was pretty wild. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You Just Don't Understand Women and Men in Conversation. Her latest book is You're the Only One I Can Tell, Inside the Language of Women's Friendships. Uh, And today we are going to talk about how we talk and particularly how our intentions can be misinterpreted, whether you're talking about money or anything, really. Dr. Tannen, thank you for joining us. What a pleasure to be here. Uh, So I want to offer up a quick disclaimer before we go any further, (laughs) because we are going to talk about gender and regional and cultural differences in communications, which is obviously going to be shaky ground because it leads to assumptions about whether it's always the case that people talk this way or is one way better than the other. But Dr. Tannen, your work is more about understanding each other and creating a shared language. So Yes. Uh, the work I'm best known for is the women and men because of the book you just didn't understand. But I actually started out as a specialist in cross-cultural communication. So my first book was comparing New York to California, conversational style. Uh, there are so many influences on our style other than gender. And, you know, uh, could be regional influence, uh, geographic, ethnic, class, uh, sexual orientation, the kind of work that you do. You know, a psychologist talking to an accountant might have different conversational styles. Um, so it's very important to say we're not talking about any one category. And as you said, and as I always say when I start, nothing is true of everybody in any group. Uh, so, yeah, I compared New Yorkers and Californians. That didn't mean every single New Yorker talked the way I was describing I had found in my own study, or every Californian. But there are patterns, and if you don't observe patterns and describe them and understand them, you end up blaming the other person or yourself or the relationship. So it's the realization that um, something that you thought was about a person's intentions or about their abilities could be a difference in conversational style. That's that's the universal that is so important here. And uh, an example of what for me is like the key example from that first study, New York versus California. Um, very often the Californians felt that the New Yorkers were interrupting them. And I was able to trace it to a very subtle difference in how long a pause they expected between turns. And this could be Californians and people in Maine or it could be New Yorkers and uh, people from another country where they speak, have even shorter pauses. Anytime two people speak who have a different sense of how long a pause is normal, the one who expects the shorter pause will get the impression the other one has nothing to say and start talking. And if it happens over and over, 
you get these mutual accusations. Uh, you're interrupting me. You're not. You have no interest in what I'm saying. You only want to hear yourself talk. And on the other side, why aren't you talking here? Uh, do you have something against me? Or somebody once told me she thought, "Is there nothing on your mind?" <laughs> <laughs> I find myself with my wife like I have to sometimes process things. And I'm comfortable saying to her, like, let me just wait and process that and formulate what I'm going to say, especially if it's kind of a difficult conversation. I don't actually feel as comfortable saying that to other people. That's great. Yeah, I would call that meta-communication, M-E-T-A, meta. So you're talking about communication. I need a little more time to think. And that is always a good thing to do. Uh, but you're right. Very often we don't think of doing that because, first of all, we're so busy jump, jumping to conclusions about the other person. We don't think it could be something about ways of talking. Yeah. Let's uh, start by tackling some gender differences. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, because these are so <laughs> much fun. Um, and specifically, let's start with women. So how do women tend to communicate? You talk about rapport talk versus report talk. What are women doing when they're communicating? <laughs> I trace styles that I uh, identify as more common among women, more common among men. I, I never say all women, all men, uh, to the way kids talk with their same-sex friends. And what you see from early on is that little girls tend to sit and talk and they have best friends. So there's this classic image of two little girls and one is whispering in the other's ear. And I have pictures like that from all over the world. Boys tend to create their friendships more through activities and doing things together. So for the girls, your best friend is the one you tell everything to. For the boys, your best friend is the one you do everything with. Uh, and that carries over into our adult friendships. <clears throat> so girls and women um, spend more time talking. We talk at greater length. We talk more often. And we talk about more personal things. Men obviously do all those things. They talk to their friends. They talk about personal topics, but just not as much. Um, and so uh, little little boys will tell you, you know, if there's a fight, we'll be on the same side. Uh, but whereas girls will say, well, we're good friends. We don't fight. Mm. Hmm. They might, but it's more yeah, subtle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the role of talk that is so different. And yeah, in the book, you just don't understand, I coined those terms, rapport talk and report talk, um, to characterize the kinds of conversations that often are different and lead to frustration. So by report talk, I meant you're using talk to create a sense of connection. Report talk, it is also about connection, but it's by talking about objective topics, not personal topics. So um, an, an example that I gave, because this actually happened to me, uh, walking around my neighborhood um, when there were fireflies out and um, I was talking and talking to neighbors and ran into a woman. Oh, aren't those fireflies beautiful? And then ran into a guy neighbor and he started giving me a lecture about how he had read that the lights were mating signals. And so it, that right. was report talk. Right. Yeah. You also talk about the getting more into the idea of creating intimacy and sameness when women are talking. They want to be able to relate to each other. And if someone's, if a woman is talking to another woman, the other woman's going to support what she's saying and bring her own experiences to the conversation. Um, and with men, it's, it can be more about independence and saying we're separate and we're different. And perhaps more importantly, I'm a little higher up on the totem pole. <laughs> well, it's a sensitivity to 
whether a way of talking puts you in a one-up or a one-down position versus a sensitivity to does this bring us closer or push us further apart. So a quick example, I was walking along an uh, academic campus with a female colleague, and a guy happened to be an older guy, a uh, professor came out, and it was one of these crisp fall days. So it was kind of chilly, and the, my, the friend I was with, the woman said to the guy, hi, so-and-so, where's your coat? And he said, thanks, Mom. Mm. <laughs> and she looked at me in kind of puzzlement and said, what was that all about? And I said, well, actually, I can tell you what it's about. It <laughs> just so happens. Um, and both are true. You said something earlier about judgment, which is better, which is worse. And in everything I ever analyze, it's so important to me to emphasize, we're not talking about better and worse. We're talking about different um, and so uh, both things are there. It yeah. is true that mothers tend to say to children, where's your coat, put on your galoshes, are you dressed warmly enough? And it's true, she was just making a friendly greeting. So which was she focusing on, which was he focusing on? He was just attuned to that level of who's up, who's down. And there are so many conversations like that where the women may just zero in on and focus on the connection level where uh, men are more likely to focus on who's up, who's down. Yeah, in my notes here, I wrote, now stay with us, men, because this isn't a bad thing. The whole absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, a, an example of that, um, one of the things from you just to understand that really entered the culture was the observation that a lot of men don't like to ask, stop and ask directions. Yeah. Uh, now with GPS, classic. it's, so it's classic. a little less, yeah. And you now were the one who really was yes. the first person to make this observation. Absolutely. When that was in the book and I was going around talking about it, no one had talked about it before. And yeah. now it's completely it's, part of the culture. Yeah. yeah. And I hear so many people refer to it as if I had said it's bad not to ask directions. Right. And I didn't. There are truly benefits to both. So uh, many men commented to me. If you uh, ask somebody they may not, not know either, they're going to tell you the wrong thing. You know, if you're going to be sent on a wild goose chase, better for your own ignorance, not someone else's. And I've had that happen to me. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, you know, you learn a lot dri driving around a neighborhood you don't know. So there's truth to all of that. Yeah. All right. So I have created some little case study examples for us to kind of dive into and dissect a little bit to talk about what's going on here. So, uh, and I frame them in um, the context of superheroes talking. Here's, uh, here's our first little, little case study. Superman and Batman are talking at the water cooler at Justice League HQ. Superman sighs. Oh, being a superhero is not paying the bills, and they are making serious cuts to the newsroom at the Daily Planet. There's no way I'll cover rent in Metropolis if I get laid off my day job. Batman responds. Oh, you think you've got actually Batman will respond. You think you've got problems. <laughs> Wayne Manor costs so much in upkeep. The cleaning bill on the Batcave alone is gonna send me to the poorhouse. All right. What just uh, happened here? Yeah, I think on the surface, the most uh, obvious thing to say is that rather than saying, oh, I know what you mean, I feel the same way, the same thing's happening to me, uh, it was topping. Oh, my problems are worse. But I have to say that that initial complaint is probably not that likely to be the thing that, that Batman would start with. <laughs> what it was is an example of tr what we call troubles talk. And that is actually more typical among women. You tell about a problem, mm -hmm. and then you get that um, scenario that I wrote about 
again, became sort of picked up and, and part of the culture where a woman tells a problem and the guy wants to fix it. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's that troubles talk that is more common among women. And, uh, and I would say the reason guys try to fix it is they don't do troubles talk. So they're thinking, why is she telling me this? She must want a solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's pretend that instead of Batman responding, it's Wonder Woman. So Superman, <laughs> oh, I can't pay my bills, da-da-da, it's brutal. Meanwhile, Wonder Woman responds, oh, I hear you. The maintenance on the invisible plane is so expensive. It's impossible to find a reasonably priced invisible mechanic these days. <laughs> so she's matching rather than topping. Uh, I know what you mean and giving an example of how it's the same. But I, I do have to say I have heard the book I just wrote is about friends. And I definitely heard women telling me that sometimes friends seem to be topping them yeah. in, in, in troubles talk. Yeah. Uh, and it can sound like it can start out being oh I know what you mean the same thing happened to me and then it can start sounding like forget you let's talk about me right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. and I think that's a common criticism that women get often it's like it's not always about you like why do we have to keep ta- why I'm trying to talk about my issue and you keep bringing it back to you right but and maybe they're just trying to show the sameness that you talk the about. lines between what you're doing to match and what you're doing to top are, are never clear yeah and uh, and intentions that might be good might come across as negative just because of the other person's yeah. expectations there's so much room to misunderstand each other's yeah. intentions which is why I think this um, your work is so in fact fascinating and so important so um, you talked about how the, the helping, um, asking for advice and that kind of thing. For example, when is someone really seeking advice or are they just venting? Um, are they looking, you know, are they looking for something rather than advice? Um, so uh, I also have another case study for us to go into. All right. Are we ready? I'm ready. All right. Mr. Fantastic really loves investing as a hobby and wants to share that love with his friends and family because he knows their life will be better for it. He's out for dinner with his wife, Sue Richards, a.k.a. Invisible Woman, as well as the Human Torch and the Thing. Sue Richards orders a Crystal Pepsi and mentions that she should really learn to invest and buy stock in PepsiCo. The Human Torch adds that he should invest in the company that owns Fireball Whiskey. Mr. Fantastic decides now is the time to share his love of investing. You know, if you really want to learn how to invest, he then recounts all 13 steps to investing foolishly. Sue and the Human Torch are annoyed, and the thing ducks out of dinner early, mumbling something about being late for clobbering time. Clobbering time. Yeah. So the, um, and I alluded to this just a bit earlier. Yeah. Yeah. The way that was, it was a classic situation that I described and you just don't understand and the take on it was she doesn't want advice she just wants to talk about it um I actually wouldn't say that right now. I would think it's a little different. I don't mm-hmm. think it's that she doesn't want advice. She just doesn't want it right off the bat. Yeah, right. <laughs> like not now. Yeah. Uh, you want to have a conversation first. So um, something about investing. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah, I know I had this thing. What kinds of things do you want to invest in? How much money? How much risk do you feel? And you need a certain amount of information before you know what advice to give. The other thing I think that makes it so frustrating from her point of view is often the reason she started it was she wanted to have a conversation. The conversation itself is sign of we like each other, we care mm-hmm. about each other, um, I can tell you all these details about my life and you're interested in listening to them. That has a quote, meta message, a term that I sometimes use. It indicates that we care about each other and you care about me. Mm-hmm. If you immediately give me advice, it shuts down the conversation. Right. So I think it's less the issue of do you want advice as do you want it right away. Yeah. Yeah. And the, well, I 
I wrote these, so it's funny because I'm also like sticking in all their meta messages for them and like <laughs> forcing it down. But whatever. I also feel like Mr. Fantastic in this situation really thought he was being helpful and he really wants to share this love. But in this case, especially I think when it comes to the other man who was also making a joke, yeah, I should invest in Fireball. And then Mr. Invisible's like, well, let me tell you how to do it. I think there's room for that one-upsmanship there where he's just trying to be helpful. I'm so, yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Um, and I, I, I often comment the reason both come away frustrated from that classic situation is he feels he was giving her what she asked for. Yeah. Troubles talk. Let's just talk about problems. It's not something that he's used to or grew up doing. And so he's looking for the reason that you're telling me this and, and giving her what he thinks she wants. So his feeling might be, why do you want to talk about it if you don't want to do anything about it? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be why you brought it up? Right. And, right. and her frustration would be, I wanted this kind of conversation and I'm not having the kind of conversation that I started out thinking I would have. So how do we do a better job of communicating what our intentions are with what we want out of a conversation? Like, how, Is it just about explicitly saying, I would like you to teach me about investing in three days time and we will sit down <laughs> then, but right now all I want is to just have a nice dinner? We don't automatically think about meta-communicating because... Think about it. You're talking all day, and mm-hmm. you just take for granted that this is the way to say what you mean, and other people are going to say what they mean, and we're going to draw conclusions, and they're going to be accurate, and often they are. So it takes that second step of stepping back and thinking, what's going wrong here if you're frustrated? Um, and. I feel so strongly, I can't give tips because people have different conversational styles. So what works great with one person is gonna be a mess with somebody else. But once you know what the parameters are, you understand what can vary by conversational style, then you can step back and think to yourself and maybe even talk about, could it be something going on here about conversational style? If you feel interrupted, you could think for a second, maybe they really thought I was done. What if you pushed yourself to start speaking before it seemed appropriate to you? You might be amazed that the other person stops and they listen to you and they're thrilled. Mm -hmm. Or you may be the one who feels you're doing all the talking here. You could try counting to seven (laughs) when you think the other person has nothing to say. And you might be amazed that, yeah, they do, and they start speaking. So that's a clear um, mechanical example, but there are examples like that that I give in both of this one book now about friends, but the earlier ones too. If you think about conversational style, you can um, make adjustments either by talking differently or talking about ways of talking. Let's move uh, away from the men and women a little bit and get into more of the cultural differences, not just between countries, but also within the U.S. You talked about the difference between New York and California, because there's also pacing, volume, interrupting. Um, we, t- we touched on that at the top of the show. Um, interrupting is a tough one because people who are interrupting maybe aren't necess- maybe they're excited about your idea and they're piling on, but you're like, no, let ab- me talk. Absolutely. The interruption <laughs> one is, a, I like to use it as a key example because it's not only typical in how differences can end up causing things you didn't want, but also the the meta message is in terms of the relationship. Are you interested in me or are you not interested in me? Do you care about me or do you not care about me? And that's where things really take on a lot of meaning and a lot of emotional weight. Yeah. Um, so just a quick example. Again, this is friends, but you know, very different um, 
issues here. Woman was very upset because um, she, her mother was in the hospital, told a good friend about it. And then the friend never asked, never followed up. How's your mother doing? To her, that meant she didn't care. Mm. I told her this important thing, and she didn't care. So she actually brought it up to her, and the friend said, oh, my goodness, in my family, we were taught you never ask questions about anything personal, especially anything difficult. Yeah. If people want to talk about it, they'll volunteer. Mm. So she was actually intending to be considerate, by not bringing it up. So a small thing like that. Um, how direct or indirect you tend to be is another mm-hmm. really, really uh, common one. Um, are you going to come right out and say what you want? Or are you going to maybe be sarcastic about it um, and expect other people to pick up what you mean? Yeah. Um, so that was a kind of classic example way yeah. back again from you just to understand where you might have a driving in a car or something, and the woman says, are you thirsty? Would you like to stop for a drink? And he isn't, so he says no. And then later it turns out she had wanted to stop, and he feels, why make me be a mind reader? Right. And um, But my point was probably she just wanted to start a conversation where everybody could say what they want. Mm-hmm. She wasn't by saying, are you thirsty? Do you want to stop for a drink? Meaning, I want to stop. You should know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but he wouldn't expect that kind of negotiation. So he would miss that what she's doing is trying to start a conversation about it. All right, here's my final case study. The Avengers are having a staff meeting. Captain America wants to plan a birthday party for the mansion butler Jarvis. Iron Man, typical Iron Man, is throwing out tons of crazy elaborate ideas without taking a breath. Finally, the Scarlet Witch speaks up and suggests that Jarvis would probably want a small party, maybe a cake. Iron Man jumps in. You know what? We don't need to do anything crazy. Just a small party with maybe a karaoke machine, a cake. Everyone agrees. A small party, maybe with a karaoke machine and a cake, is the way to go. Scarlet Witch is angry that Iron Man just took credit for her idea after interrupting her. Meanwhile, Iron Man thinks they had a successful collaboration. <laughs> Avengers Assemble! A great example. So this, <laughs> this traces to a book I wrote about the workplace called Talking from 9 to 5. Um, and at one point, the title of that book was going to be, Didn't I Just Say That? <laughs> yeah, because that was such a key experience of women in the workplace. You're at a meeting, you say something, it's ignored, a guy says the same thing, and it's a great idea, but now just, it's You're it's looking his around idea. the room being like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's a whole range of reasons why that happens. One is sometimes the second time you hear it, you listen to it, you didn't listen the first time. Sometimes it's that she said it, but in an understated sort of way way. And he said it in a more proclamatory sort of way. So people perked up and listened. Sometimes it's just where you expect the good ideas to come from. Mm. And unfortunately, many people don't expect the women to be coming up with such great ideas. So they don't pay so much attention. Um, uh, And I I often, there's one where I do have advice. Um, It's really hard to say, hey, that was my idea. Yeah. But you can speak up for someone else. Mm. Mm. That's a great idea, but that was Sally's idea. Right, right. Mm. I love that. And so if, uh, and it doesn't have to be a woman, it could be a guy. If people watch out for their colleagues and their friends and try to bring it up when they observe it happening, that's that's a big step forward. So uh, you've been a, ling- a linguist again. Why did they make that word so hard to say? <laughs> Uh, for a, for a while now, what would you say is one of the biggest changes you've noticed in how we communicate now versus a couple decades ago? Oh well, the biggest change, of course, is social media. Mm. Um, I've taught courses on conversational interaction, analyzing conversation, nearly forty years now that I've been at Georgetown, but now I teach conversations that take place over social media. 
Uh, and in some ways, it ratchets up the same things that always went on. Right. Um, and here again, there's some gender differences. So girls and women in particular are very apt to be hurt by being left out, not invited, not told something. Um, well, you know, and then we have FOMO, you know, F-O-M-O, mm -hmm. fear of missing, missing out. out yeah. But I suggest another acronym, FOBLO, F-O-B-L-O, fear of being left out. It's not that you missed the party because you didn't check your phone. It's that you weren't invited. Mm. Um, and we always had sensitivity to that. But now you got to see pictures of the party. <laughs> right, and you right. see and pictures you know of every place that your friends are and you're not. And yeah. so your reaction can be more visceral. But I think social media also are really ratcheting up that sense of connection. So the end of day conversation where you said, oh, here's what I did. Here's what I thought. Um, and which, again, is something that puzzles lots of guys. But women really appreciate because it means you care about my daily life yeah. now you don't have to wait till the end of the day yeah yeah <laughs> you're texting about Just it check your you're likes and instagram <laughs> yeah uh putting up pictures and it's like your friends are with you as you go about the day and, that, and that's a very lovely thing well dr tannen thank you for joining us if our listeners want to learn more i highly recommend your books um what we talked today was mostly pulled from you just don't understand a little bit of that's not what i meant um your latest book is you're the only one i can tell um i can't wait to hopefully maybe one day have you back on the show thank you so much it's been a pleasure thank you that's the show. It's edited communicatively by Rick Engdahl. Well, you're off having summer fun. Don't forget that postcard. Our address is 2000 Duke Street, second floor, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. Also, our email is answers at fool.com, so send us your questions. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Mm -hmm.